Section 9 of State of the Union Addresses, 1869-1876. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ulysses S. Grant, December 7, 1874, Part 2. The report of the Secretary of War herewith attached, and forming a part of this message, gives all the information concerning the operations, wants, and necessities of the Army, and contains many suggestions and recommendations which I commend to your special attention. There is no class of government employees who are harder worked than the Army, officers and men, none who perform their tasks more cheerfully and efficiently, and under circumstances of greater privations and hardships. Legislation is desirable to render more efficient this branch of the public service. All the recommendations of the Secretary of War I regard as judicious, and I especially commend to your attention the following, the consolidation of government arsenals, the restoration of mileage to officers traveling under orders, the exemption of money received from the sale of subsistence stores from being covered into the Treasury, the use of appropriations for the purchase of subsistence stores without waiting for the beginning of the fiscal year for which the appropriation is made, for additional appropriations for the collection of torpedo material, for increased appropriations for the manufacture of arms, for relieving the various states from indebtedness for arms charged to them during the rebellion, for dropping officers from the rolls of the army without trial, for the offense of drawing pay more than once for the same period, for the discouragement of the plan to pay soldiers by check, and for the establishment of a professorship of rhetoric and English literature at West Point. The reasons for these recommendations are obvious, and are set forth sufficiently in the reports attached. I also recommend that the status of the staff corps of the Army be fixed, where this has not already been done, so that promotions may be made and vacancies filled as they occur in each grade when reduced below the number to be fixed by law. The necessity for such legislation is specially felt now in the pay department. The number of officers in that department is below the number adequate to the performance of the duties required of them by law. The efficiency of the Navy has been largely increased during the last year. Under the impulse of the foreign complications which threatened us at the commencement of the last session of Congress, most of our efficient wooden ships were put in condition for immediate service, and the repairs of our ironclad fleet were pushed with the utmost vigor. The result is that most of these are now in an effective state, and need only to be manned and put in commission to go at once into service. Some of the new sloops authorized by Congress are already in commission, and most of the remainder are launched and wait only the completion of their machinery to enable them to take their places as part of our effective force. Two iron torpedo ships have been completed during the last year, and four of our large double-turreted ironclads are now undergoing repairs. When these are finished, everything that is useful of our Navy is now authorized will be in condition for service, and with the advance in the science of torpedo warfare, the American Navy, comparatively small as it is, will be found at any time powerful for the purposes of a peaceful nation. Much has been accomplished during the year in aid of science, and to increase the sum of general knowledge, and further the interests of commerce and civilization. Extensive and much-needed soundings have been made for hydrographic purposes, and to fix the proper routes of ocean telegraphs. 
further surveys of the great isthmus have been undertaken and completed and two vessels of the navy are now employed in conjunction with those of england france germany and russia in observations connected with the transit of venus so useful and interesting to the scientific world the estimates for this branch of the public service do not differ materially from those of last year those for the general support of the service being somewhat less and those for permanent improvements at the various stations rather larger than the corresponding estimates made a year ago the regular maintenance and a steady increase in the efficiency of this most important arm in proportion to the growth of our maritime intercourse and interests is recommended to the attention of congress the use of the navy in time of peace might be further utilized by a direct authorization of the employment of naval vessels in explorations and surveys of the supposed navigable waters of other nationalities on this continent especially the tributaries of the two great rivers of south america the orinoco and the amazon nothing prevents under existing laws such exploration except that expenditures must be made in such expeditions beyond those usually provided for in the appropriations the field designated is unquestionably one of great interest and one capable of large development of commercial interests advantageous to the peoples reached and to those who may establish relations with them education of the people entitled to exercise the right of franchise i regard essential to general prosperity everywhere and especially so in republics where birth education or previous condition does not enter into account in giving suffrage next to the public school the post office is the great agent of education over our vast territory the rapidity with which new sections are being settled thus increasing the carrying of mails in a more rapid ratio than the increase of receipts is not alarming the report of the postmaster general herewith attached shows that there was an increase of revenue in his department in eighteen seventy three over the previous year of one million six hundred seventy four thousand four hundred and eleven dollars and an increase of cost of carrying the mails and paying employees of three million forty one thousand four hundred and sixty eight dollars and ninety one cents the report of the postmaster general gives interesting statistics of his department and compares them with the corresponding statistics of a year ago showing a growth in every branch of the department a postal convention has been concluded with new south wales an exchange of postal cards established with switzerland and the negotiations pending for several years past with france have been terminated in a convention with that country which went into effect last august an international postal congress was convened in bern switzerland in september last at which the united states was represented by an officer of the post office department of much experience and of qualification for the position a convention for the establishment of an international postal union was agreed upon and signed by the delegates of the countries represented subject to the approval of the proper authorities of those countries i respectfully direct your attention to the report of the postmaster-general and to his suggestions in regard to an equitable adjustment of the question of compensation to railroads for carrying the mails your attention will be drawn to the unsettled condition of affairs in some of the southern states on the fourteenth of september last the governor of louisiana called upon me as provided by the constitution and laws of the united states to aid in suppressing domestic violence in that state this call was made in view of a proclamation issued on that day by d b penn claiming that he was elected lieutenant governor in eighteen seventy two 
and calling upon the militia of this state to arm, assemble, and drive from power the usurpers, as he designated the officers of the state government. On the next day I issued my proclamation, commanding the insurgents to disperse within five days from the date thereof, and subsequently learned that on that day they had taken forcible possession of the state house. Steps were taken by me to support the existing and recognized state government, but before the expiration of the five days, the insurrectionary movement was practically abandoned, and the officers of the state government, with some minor exceptions, resumed their powers and duties. Considering that the present state administration of Louisiana has been the only government in that state for nearly two years, that it has been tacitly acknowledged and acquiesced in as such by Congress, and more than once expressly recognized by me, I regarded it as my clear duty, when legally called upon for that purpose, to prevent its overthrow by an armed mob under pretense of fraud and irregularity in the election of 1872. I have heretofore called the attention of Congress to this subject, stating that on account of the frauds and forgeries committed at said election, and because it appears that the returns thereof were never legally canvassed, it was impossible to tell thereby who were chosen. But from the best sources of information at my command, I have always believed that the present state officers received a majority of the legal votes actually cast at that election. I repeat what I said in my special message of February 23, 1873, that in the event of no action by Congress, I must continue to recognize the government heretofore recognized by me. I regret to say that, with preparations for the late election, decided indications appeared in some localities in the southern states of a determination, by acts of violence and intimidation, to deprive citizens of the freedom of the ballot because of their political opinions. Bands of men, masked and armed, made their appearance. White leagues and other societies were formed. Large quantities of arms and ammunition were imported and distributed to these organizations. Militia drills with menacing demonstrations were held, and with all these murders enough were committed to spread terror among those whose political action was to be suppressed, if possible, by these intolerant and criminal proceedings. In some places, colored laborers were compelled to vote according to the wishes of their employers, under threats of discharge if they acted otherwise, and there are too many instances in which, when these threats were disregarded, they were remorselessly executed by those who made them. I understand that the Fifteenth Amendment to the Constitution was made to prevent this and a like state of things, and the Act of May 31, 1870, with amendments, was passed to enforce its provisions, the object of both being to guarantee to all citizens the right to vote and to protect them in the free enjoyment of that right. Enjoined by the Constitution to take care that the laws be faithfully executed, and convinced by undoubted evidence that violations of said act had been committed and that a widespread and flagrant disregard of it was contemplated, the proper officers were instructed to prosecute the offenders and troops were stationed at convenient points to aid these officers, if necessary, in the performance of their official duties. Complaints are made of this interference by federal authority, but if said amendment and act do not provide for such interference under the circumstances as above stated, then they are without meaning, force, or effect, and the whole scheme of colored enfranchisement is worse than mockery, and little better than a crime. Possibly Congress may find it due to truth and justice to ascertain by means of a committee 
whether the alleged wrongs to colored citizens for political purposes are real or the reports thereof were manufactured for the occasion the whole number of troops in the states of louisiana alabama georgia florida south carolina north carolina kentucky tennessee arkansas mississippi maryland and virginia at the time of the election was four thousand and eighty two this embraces the garrisons of all the forts from the delaware to the gulf of mexico another trouble has arisen in arkansas article thirteen of the constitution of that state which was adopted in 1868, and upon the approval of which, by Congress, the state was restored to representation as one of the states of the Union, provides in effect that before any amendments proposed to this Constitution shall become a part thereof, they shall be passed by two successive assemblies, and then submitted to and ratified by a majority of the electors of the state voting thereon. On the 11th of May, 1874, the governor convened an extra session of the General Assembly of the state, which, on the 18th of the same month, passed an act providing for a convention to frame a new constitution. Pursuant to this act, and at an election held on the 30th of June, 1874, the convention was approved, and delegates were chosen thereto, who assembled on the 14th of last July, and framed a new constitution the schedule of which provided for the election of an entire new set of state officers in a manner contrary to the then existing election laws of the state on the thirteenth of october eighteen seventy four this constitution as therein provided was submitted to the people for their approval or rejection and according to the election returns was approved by a large majority of those qualified to vote thereon and at the same election persons were chosen to fill all the state county and township offices the governor elected in eighteen seventy two for the term of four years turned over his office to the governor chosen under the new constitution whereupon the lieutenant governor also elected in eighteen seventy two for a term of four years claiming to act as governor and alleging that said proceedings by which the new constitution was made and a new set of officers elected were unconstitutional illegal and void called upon me as provided in section four article four of the constitution to protect the state against domestic violence as congress is now investigating the political affairs of arkansas i have declined to interfere the whole subject of executive interference with the affairs of a state is repugnant to public opinion, to the feelings of those who, from their official capacity, must be used in such interposition, and to him or those who must direct. Unless most clearly on the side of law such interference becomes a crime, with the law to support it, it is condemned without a hearing. I desire, therefore, that all necessity for executive direction in local affairs may become unnecessary and obsolete. I invite the attention, not of Congress, but of the people of the United States, to the causes and effects of these unhappy questions. Is there not a disposition on one side to magnify wrongs and outrages, and on the other side to belittle them or justify them? if public opinion could be directed to a correct survey of what is and to rebuking wrong and aiding the proper authorities in punishing it a better state of feeling would be inculcated and the sooner we would have that peace which would leave the states free indeed to regulate their own domestic affairs i believe on the part of our citizens of the southern states the better part of them there is a disposition to be law-abiding 
and to do no violence either to individuals or to the laws existing. But do they do right in ignoring the existence of violence and bloodshed and resistance to constituted authority? I sympathize with their prostrate condition, and would do all in my power to relieve them, acknowledging that in some instances they have had most trying governments to live under, and very oppressive ones in the way of taxation for nominal improvements, not giving benefits equal to the hardships imposed. But can they proclaim themselves entirely irresponsible for this condition? They cannot. Violence has been rampant in some localities, and has either been justified or denied by those who could have prevented it. The theory is even raised that there is to be no further interference on the part of the general government to protect citizens within a state where the state authorities fail to give protection. This is a great mistake. While I remain executive, all the laws of Congress and the provisions of the Constitution, including the recent amendments added thereto, will be enforced with rigor, but with regret that they should have added one jot or tittle to executive duties or powers. Let there be fairness in the discussion of Southern questions, the advocates of both or all parties giving honest, truthful reports of occurrences, condemning the wrong and upholding the right, and soon all will be well. Under existing conditions, the Negro votes the Republican ticket because he knows his friends are of that party. Many a good citizen votes the opposite, not because he agrees with the great principles of state which separate parties, but because generally he is opposed to Negro rule. This is a most delusive cry. Treat the Negro as a citizen and a voter, as he is and must remain, and soon parties will be divided not on the color line, but on principle. Then we shall have no complaint of sectional interference. The report of the Attorney General contains valuable recommendations relating to the administration of justice in the courts of the United States, to which I invite your attention. I respectfully suggest to Congress the propriety of increasing the number of judicial districts in the United States to eleven, the present number being nine, and the creation of two additional judgeships. The territory to be traversed by the circuit judges is so great, and the business of the courts so steadily increasing, that it is growing more and more impossible for them to keep up with the business requiring their attention. Whether this would involve the necessity of adding two more justices of the Supreme Court to the present number, I submit to the judgment of Congress. The attention of Congress is invited to the report of the Secretary of the Interior, and to the legislation asked for by him. The domestic interests of the people are more intimately connected with this department than with either of the other departments of the government. Its duties have been added to from time to time until they have become so onerous that, without the most perfect system and order, it will be impossible for any Secretary of the Interior to keep trace of all official transactions having his sanction and done in his name, and for which he is held personally responsible. The policy adopted for the management of Indian affairs, known as the Peace Policy, has been adhered to with most beneficial results. It is confidently hoped that a few more years will relieve our frontiers from danger of Indian depredations. I commend the recommendation of the Secretary for the extension of the homestead laws to the Indians, and for some sort of territorial government for the Indian Territory. A great majority of the Indians occupying this territory 
are believed yet to be incapable of maintaining their rights against the more civilized and enlightened white man. Any territorial form of government given them, therefore, should protect them in their homes and property for a period of at least twenty years, and before its final adoption should be ratified by a majority of those affected. The report of the Secretary of the Interior, herewith attached, gives much interesting statistical information, which I abstain from giving an abstract of, but refer you to the report itself. The Act of Congress providing the oath which pensioners must subscribe to before drawing their pensions cuts off from this bounty a few survivors of the War of 1812 residing in the southern states. I recommend the restoration of this bounty to all such. The number of persons whose names would thus be restored to the list of pensioners is not large. They are all old persons who could have taken no part in the rebellion, and the services for which they were awarded pensions were in defense of the whole country. The report of the Commissioner of Agriculture herewith contains suggestions of much interest to the general public, and refers to the sly approaching centennial and the part his department is ready to take in it. I feel that the nation at large is interested in having this exposition a success, and commend to Congress such action as will secure a greater general interest in it. Already many foreign nations have signified their intention to be represented at it, and it may be expected that every civilized nation will be represented. The rules adopted to improve the civil service of the government have been adhered to as closely as has been practicable, with the opposition with which they meet. The effect, I believe, has been beneficial on the whole, and has tended to the elevation of the service. But it is impracticable to maintain them without direct and positive support of Congress. Generally, the support which this reform receives is from those who give it their support only to find fault when the rules are apparently departed from. Removals from office without preferring charges against parties removed are frequently cited as departures from the rules adopted, and the retention of those against whom charges are made by irresponsible persons and without good grounds is also often condemned as a violation of them. Under these circumstances, therefore, I announce that if Congress adjourns without positive legislation on the subject of civil service reform, I will regard such action as a disapproval of the system, and will abandon it, except so far as to require examinations for certain appointees to determine their fitness. Competitive examinations will be abandoned. The gentlemen who have given their services without compensation as members of the board to devise rules and regulations for the government of the civil service of the country have shown much zeal and earnestness in their work, and to them, as well as to myself, it will be a source of mortification if it is to be thrown away. But I repeat that it is impossible to carry this system to a successful issue without general approval and assistance, and positive law to support it. I have stated that three elements of prosperity to the nation, capital, labor, skilled and unskilled, and the products of the soil, still remain with us. To direct the employment of these is a problem deserving the most serious attention of Congress. If employment can be given to all the labor offering itself, prosperity necessarily follows. I have expressed the opinion, and repeat it, that the first requisite to the accomplishment of this end is the substitution of a sound currency in place of one of a fluctuating value. This secured, there are many interests that might be fostered to the great profit of both labor and capital. How to induce capital to employ labor is the question. 
the subject of cheap transportation has occupied the attention of congress much new light on this question will without doubt be given by the committee appointed by the last congress to investigate and report upon this subject a revival of shipbuilding and particularly of iron steamship building is of vast importance to our national prosperity the united states is now paying over one hundred million dollars per annum for freights and passages on foreign ships to be carried abroad and expended in the employment and support of other peoples beyond a fair percentage of what should go to foreign vessels estimating on the tonnage and travel of each respectively it is to be regretted that this disparity in the carrying trade exists and to correct it i would be willing to see a great departure from the usual course of government in supporting what might usually be termed private enterprise i would not suggest as a remedy direct subsidy to american steamship lines but i would suggest the direct offer of ample compensation for carrying the mails between the atlantic seaboard cities and the continent on american-owned and american-built steamers and would extend this liberality to vessels carrying the mails to south american states and to central america and mexico and would pursue the same policy from our pacific seaports to foreign seaports on the pacific it might be demanded that vessels built for this service should come up to a standard fixed by legislation in tonnage speed and all other qualities looking to the possibility of government requiring them at some time for war purposes the right also of taking possession of them in such emergency should be guarded i offer these suggestions believing them worthy of consideration in all seriousness affecting all sections and all interests alike if anything better can be done to direct the country into a course of general prosperity no one will be more ready than i to second the plan Forwarded herewith will be found the report of the commissioners appointed under an act of Congress, approved June 20th, 1874, to wind up the affairs of the district government. It will be seen from the report that the net debt of the District of Columbia, less securities on hand and available, is bonded debt issued prior to July 1st, 1874, $8,883,940.93, 3.65 bonds, Act of Congress, June 20th, 1874, $2,088,168.73, Certificates of the Board of Audit, $4,770,558.45. End of Section 9. Recording by Owen Cook in Pottawatomie, Ceded Land.